and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have today Dr. Ann Hester, MD, in her book, Patient Empowerment 101. More than a book, it's an adventure. Come on in. Hi, thank you for having me on your show today. Well, you're going to be most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to sit back here and, and my, do my head. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, let's see. I guess the part about having a book in its adventure, at what point did you, did, did it come to you and, and work, work that out? Well, because within the pages of the book, readers will find special URLs, websites. The uh -huh. general website is patientempowerment101.com. But if you have the book, you'll have access to the inside. And that is full of downloadable charts. So you can download uh, forms that you can fill out on your computer. They're in Word format. You can save them. You can print them. You can email them to yourself. And these things deal with a variety of issues doctors are going to want to know about. For instance, frequently asked questions for mm. everything from chest pain, abdominal pain, and so forth. And I also created some semi-human videos. So there are some videos that explain concepts to people. So that's the adventure part. It's not just a book. They can go on the website, look at videos, download forms, and it continues to be interactive because they can print the forms to do whatever they need to do. That sounds pretty handy. Um, have... Uh... Have you been a certified physician for a long time? I've been board certified for a few decades, uh, I think <laughs> 1995 or so. I wasn't going to call you out and ask you how, much, how old you are. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> um, I like the idea, though, that gives people the ability, if they can do it, I guess with your guidance, for, for these things. Um, is there a, an example of, of something here doing that? Yes. So if you develop abdominal pain, all you have to do is go to that part of the book with the forms and you can start going through the checklist. This list basically consists of the FAQs that doctors frequently ask. What frequently happens is patients go to see the doctor. They're often frustrated because the doctor might be a little bit behind schedule. They've been sitting <laughs> at a cold examining room table in pain, frustrated, and then they try to bring all this back together. So with this book, once they develop the abdominal pain, they can go to that part of the book and go through the checklist. I do have this. I don't have this. I did notice this. So, hmm, let me pay attention for this. So when they sit down with the doctor, they can go through the bullet points step by step by step by step 
and not think, hmm, I haven't thought about it. I don't think so. But they'll be able to address those frequently asked questions immediately. And that will help the doctor diagnose them more quickly with fewer tests and procedures and less of a need for medication that may or may not work, will cost money and might interact with other drugs. So that's just one of many examples. And I, the same thing is true of other things, chest pain, fever, diarrhea, back pain. So the common conditions that people see doctors for are addressed. So people can be equipped and empowered to communicate with their doctor on an unprecedented level. I once had a patient, I asked her a yes or no question. And I just let her talk. It took her 10 minutes to answer the question. That's because patients have not been given the tools to think through how they need to approach doctor's visits. We've had a very paternalistic healthcare system and that has been to the detriment of patients. We are looking at a potential shortage of up to 124,000 physicians in 11 years. So if you think that the doctor's business are short now, it's scary to imagine what it would be like if we actually are short close to 48,000 primary care doctors plus tens of thousands of other doctors in the coming years. Patients have got to be empowered and equipped to be able to navigate the healthcare system and communicate on a new level. And it's not hard at all. The problem is they were just never given the easy tools to do so. Right. And that uh, that's that something like that is really handy, what you just described, and how they can do it and do it, do it right. And it just amazes me that, that people can find in the book forms and so forth. Uh, it, uh, you ever have anybody stump you on something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would have to say many times because when patients, they don't know how to communicate. Most of them don't because they have not been taught how. And so they're over here and they do a little bit of this and it's just like all over the place. I call it OHEC syndrome. It could be, a, it could be appendicitis, it could be your pancreas is inflamed, it could be an ulcer, it could be this, this, this. It's OHEC syndrome. Oh heck, I have no idea what's going on. I need to order a lot of tests to figure this out. And that's often what we deal with because when doctors don't know or there is a broad range of possibilities, the doctor is gonna order a broad range of tests, which means it's gonna cost more and some tests are not only expensive, some of them have the potential to be painful and even dangerous. And so my goal is to help people think things through. So whenever they see doctors, they can help the doctor hone down that big potential list to one or two things. We were taught in medical school that by the time the patient finishes his last sentence, we should know what's going on. I thought the professor was crazy. Like we have MRIs, we have all these things. What do you mean? It's true. Patients can give you the diagnosis. They just don't know how. Right. I once had a, I, I gave a talk um, and I shared this information with a friend of mine and she ended up going to the ER a few weeks later. 
And she pulled out some information she put on her phone and she ran through it in such a way that the ER doctor was able to diagnose her quickly with few tests. And at the end of their conversation, he looked at her and asked, are you in the healthcare field? And she just started laughing <laughs> because doctors are not used to patients being able to communicate so smoothly and give them what they need. Right. I think in the old days, it was called um, bedside manners, I think is, is what that was. And whether it was true or not, it's, it, some could, some couldn't, that type of thing. But it, that, and that being the thing, it's a different part of, it, of the doctor world for them to deal with. The bedside manner issue is ongoing. We still call it that. And aside from that, if we're going to be faced with this potentially catastrophic position shortage, there's not going to be much time to be very genteel and to have a nice, calm manner when you have five patients waiting for you who are very sick. And that is the sort of reason that I feel patients really need to be empowered to help the doctor help them and help them correctly and quickly. One thing that I address in this book is eight key elements that patients need to know to be able to provide a one minute elevator speech. So these elements are number one, context. What was going on? If you tell the doctor, you know, I developed back pain right after I lifted the heavy sofa, he's not gonna order an MRI looking for spine cancer. The next C is character. Describe it. Is it sharp? Is it burning? Describe it. For instance, people often describe a heart attack as an elephant sitting on my chest. It's a squeezing sensation. Heartburn is like a burning sensation. So the terms that are used can actually help the doctor. The next is L, location. Don't tell your doctor, I have belly pain. She's not going to know what that means. You have a lot of organs in there. Do you have pain in the upper right, the upper left, the lower right, the lower left, the middle abdomen? Be specific. S is the next one, severity. Rated on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst possible severity. 1 being, oh, it's there, but it's no big, big issue. T is timing. Each time you have the problem, does it last for seconds, minutes, hours, or days? The next is A, associated signs or symptoms. I have chest pain and I also break out in a sweat or I have shortness of breath. D, duration. How long have you endured it? It's been going on off and on for three months. I've endured it for three months, but each time it occurs, it lasts two or three minutes. The last one is modifying factors. What makes it better? What makes it worse? If you're walking, and you notice that by the second block, you get short of breath, that tells your doctor something. If you have a headache and you take one Tylenol and in 30 minutes, you're better, that tells the doctor something. So what makes it better, what makes it worse? These eight things were mandated by Medicare for a doctor to document in some combination up until January of this year. But for decades, doctors had to document several of these bullet points they're that vital. 
And so now patients can know what is important. They can go into the doctor's office, go through these bullet points, and the doctor will look amazed and be able to move forward quickly and efficiently and help save the patient time and money. And that is the goal, to optimize healthcare in America and beyond. Well, that's a, uh, that's a lot. And it's good. A lot of good, I would say. I thought that um, as I look in, in your history, that were, let's see, internal and internal? Is that what that is? Internal medicine doctor. A lot of people call us internists. Uh -huh. Different interns who are greenies out of medical school, but I'm an internist. Okay. <laughs> and does that help, I would assume? with all of these things that you do with your book, the forms? Well, I practiced medicine for decades. An intern is basically an adult doctor. If a kid gets sick, you take him to a pediatrician. An adult gets sick, he's likely going to see an internist. He might see a family practice doctor, but likely he'll see an internal medicine doctor. And so mm -hmm. we're like primary care doctors for adults or were hospital, but most of my career is actually spent as a hospital-based physician. So a lot of primary care doctors stopped going to the hospital and they pulled back and let hospital-based doctors called hospitalists handle the care of their patients when they're acutely ill and then send them back to them for follow-up visits. And so that is what we did day in and day out. Everything from headache, chest pain, pneumonia, abdominal pain, cancer, all of those things are the typical adult ailments. How many people in terms of an MD that they, maybe for whatever reason, they might say, I'm not sure about this form. Do you have any fee, any crossback feedback from other no. doctors? No, because it's not so much the form. They don't have to take the form with them, but I encourage them to just so they can look through the form as they're sitting in the waiting room. But mm -hmm. it is the knowledge. If you develop abdominal pain, you may not know how important it is to look at your stools. Do your stools, do they turn black? That can mean you're bleeding internally. So this is a form to educate patients if I develop this symptom, I need to pay attention to whether or not these things are present. Right. And so it is about educating the patient, not giving the doctor a form that's checked yes or no. They can take the form with them, but at least if they are paying attention when the doctor asks these questions, yes, my stools turned black a couple of days ago. Yes, I have nausea. Yes, I have this. Yes, I have that. And not sit on the examining room table, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. I really wasn't paying attention. And that is very often what we get, which is why it took my patient 10 minutes to answer a yes, no question. It's a matter of being prepared to see the doctor in advance, not when you're sitting on the table, but before you walk into the doctor's office, you're already prepared. Yeah, yeah. Now, is, is it often or less often for people to be stubborn? With what they with what you give them. 
are very different. They have different levels of engagement. Some mm -hmm. people, they want to know everything. They want to be on top of everything and involved. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. is a welcome change to how things were decades ago when people would say, ah, oh, my doctor would tell me what to do. And other people, they are not very engaged. I will say that those who are engaged and who want to be on top of their medical care very well may get better care because the doctor sees a partner. The doctor sees someone who is gonna partner with him in moving the needle forward. And it's right. always best to have a partnership and not a one-sided relationship, especially when it comes to your health. Right. Well, today, so many things have been brought to your attention and you wonder about if if it's really good or if not good and you don't know until you try. That's uh, true. You've got to have that part of, of you to do it. Um, tell me something. Um, I ran across this a while back. Um, some doctors, MDs, uh, deal with uh, homeopathic. Yes. There is a lot out there that we are really starting to appreciate now. There are natural things that sometimes do as well as pharmaceutical things. And with the fact that natural products, they're not FDA regulated, sometimes there is a concern, not knowing what you're getting. But if you have a reputable brand, I use a variety of natural things, but I like organic. Uh, I, I choose the organic brands of a variety of things. and. We know if you go, even if you go to WebMD and you look up some of these natural remedies, you'll see that there is often some evidence of good. Um, there are, for instance, there is um, something called 5-HTP. Um, it can be extracted from seeds. It is a building block to serotonin, which is what Prozac is working on in the brain. It deals with the balance of the serotonin. Well, some studies have shown that for certain people, and I'm not gonna tell anybody to stop your Prozac and try this, you've gotta speak with your doctor, but for some of the less severe cases, it may do the trick. Also, I recently read about rosemary oil where you put rosemary oil in olive oil and you put it on your scalp and there was a study that showed it worked as well as rogaine for hair growth there is a lot of information out there and people are now understanding that there are people who are board certified in naturopathic medicine and so i personally feel that you should talk to your doctor because there are going to be certain things you just don't want to risk. I had a patient who was having a stroke. She said, I don't take blood pressure medicine. I use garlic in the midst of a stroke. She was told garlic would do it. Garlic may move the needle a little bit. She right. was like 
100 points too high. So always talk to your doctor. There may be some things that may help you that are not uh, prescription. Well, um, I would think that the pharmaceutical group probably has a hand in, in stirring, trying to stir the pot, if that's an old saying. Uh, because if you find something that's natural, that's, that, you know, that competes with what they don't have, but they have something else that could cost a lot of money. You know, my wife and I were looking at the at various football games and baseball games over the, over the weekends. And everyone, I guess there was probably, you know, it's pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical. They're just after, you know, commercial after 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 it, even even we sit back and go why you know do we really do that are we going to do that there's always these i get wound up about that pharmaceutical um, company industry is huge and is powerful and it certainly has its place but there are times that you don't need to send out uh, the infantry to kill an ant. And so right. um, always speak with your doctor to see if there is a respectable alternative for milder cases of certain conditions. But if you have a severe case, do what you need to do with your doctor. Right, right. Well, alternatives. Is it, is it an attempt to keep from surgery or you have to have the surgery depending upon what it is, A, B, C, D? I think if you're told that you need surgery, the first issue is how serious is it? You don't want to hold off on a potentially serious condition um, that could impact your life expectancy. Um, that being said, if it's a non-serious condition and you want a second opinion, by all means. And even right. if you're in the hospital, you can ask for a second opinion. Right. So you right. need to understand the risks and benefits, why the surgery is needed, what can happen if you don't have it, and what can happen if you do have it. Right. Well, you're a very valuable person. And I can tell that you spread that well. And uh, I want to thank you to coming in and enlightening us in terms of what you do and what we're, others are be preparing to do. I think so. Uh, nevertheless, let's ask you, where, do you, where would you send uh, my audience to find books, this one especially? Patient Empowerment 101, uh, More Than a Book is an Adventure, can be found on Amazon. There is a companion guide that Amazon's algorithm makes it not so easy to find. But if you go to patientempowerment101.com, you can click on the companion book and that will take you directly to the part of Amazon where you can buy it. And you can also just click on the main book and get that. I have created a masterclass, Patient Empowerment 101 Masterclass. I have an on-demand um, platform for courses, health and wellness courses, where I and several colleagues, cardiologists and other doctors go through very important things in a very simplified manner. That is patientworld.net.
So people can go to patientworld.net and look under courses and they can actually take a course that explains um, some of the key concepts of this book to them. Well, it's a, it's a good tool. And uh, I'm sure a, a lot of people listening to this are gonna wanna buy your book and then start work, working at home and, and it's kind of with me, you know, I, I look at it and say, now that I'm older, uh, I look in the mirror and say, what's the matter with my skin anymore? You know, it's, and, it, and then you try something or you hear something and then and then I go, okay, through it, forget it, forget it. Yeah. Works. You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to to stop by and my lost my listeners uh, for tuning in to searching for integrity and uh, I'm glad that you did and I'm glad that they did. Thank um, you, sir. You're you're quite a credit to what you do. Um, so, and my audios, of course, is so long. And happy trails to all.